Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. We are talking about His Kingdom Comes. His Kingdom Comes. And this morning I want to talk to you about the cost of the Kingdom. The cost of the Kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The cost of the Kingdom. Uh, when I was little, uh, my dad bought me this metal detector. Uh, I don't know, I was like fifth or sixth grade or so. And we used to kind of go out here and there. It's amazing, I just found it in the shed. I was like, I still have that thing, it's crazy. Um, but uh, we went out a few times and, and went to some old houses and metal detect things. I remember one time we went to a house and you know, he found some old, remember those metal Hot Wheels that were actually metal, the cast iron ones are hollow on the inside? How many people know what I'm talking about? Like the original Hot Wheels, right? Found some of them, some glass bottles. You know, you can't really do that much anymore. You'll go to jail if you're trespassing on property. But used to, you could kind of go to things and find things like that. And most of the time, we didn't find anything uh, of value, right? You know, trash and things. And, but uh, uh, it was the experience of searching for maybe hidden treasure. I got this out and cleaned it up and uh, brought it, you know, in the yard with the kids. And Adelie is, she's, you know, she's six. She's like, can we find treasure? You know, it's like, that's, maybe there's a pirate that hid something in our yard. I'm like, probably not, but let's try anyway, right? Uh, but what is the, like I said, most of the time we didn't find anything of real value, but I have some of those cast iron Hot Wheels still that I remember that that one weekend, me and my dad with this metal detector found those. Let me tell you, they don't really go for much today, but it's the memory, right, of the value what determines the value of something? What determines the value? Today we have markets that often set the value. And let me give an example. Uh, that Caribbean cruise might be very valuable to you or to me, but if you own a Caribbean island, it's probably not as much, right? There's value. It's, it's all kind of in the eye of the beholder. A value is relative to who you are and what you have. It's relative to who you are and what you have. And Jesus talked at length about the value of the kingdom. He talked at length about the value of the kingdom, the value of a lost soul, like a woman who searched for uh, a jewelry or a coin that was missing, a, a lost sheep that a shepherd went to find. He talked about the value of just one soul, of just one person, a value of the kingdom. This is, after all, the reason he came, to purchase a treasure hidden in a field, as we're going to see today. I think the uh, problem uh, for us is unless we're seeing with spiritual eyes, we don't often see what God sees. We don't often value what God values. We don't really think about that treasure in the same way that he. It's always just a junk to most people. But what God sees is not always what man sees. He values something different than we do. And even though we do see sometimes things in little measure as we come to church and we think about the lost, we think about spiritual things, often it's even limited because of our flesh. We don't often see and value the kingdom as he does. But the price he was willing to pay for that kingdom reveals its supreme value. What he was willing to do for one soul shows us that value. And until I see his value, I probably won't worship him rightly. 
I probably won't believe his word with the right faith. I probably won't have the right peace in this Christian life or maybe even the right joy about what this whole thing is all about unless I see the kingdom rightly, unless I understand the value that God puts on the kingdom of heaven. So look with me in Matthew 13, verse 44. If there's something I want you to remember by the end of the day, it's that Jesus is my price tag. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus is my price tag. Jesus set the value of your life with the cost of his. Jesus set the value of your soul with the cost of his life. Matthew 13, verse 44, hidden treasure. Here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy, somebody say joy. For joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Sometimes ancient people, they didn't have safety deposit box like we do today. They would uh, hide either in a back room or maybe under their house or in a field a jewelry box or a vault of some kind. And a lot of times that would be either to avoid taxation of, I'm not telling you to do this, right? But uh, <laughs> they would hide it from, uh, you know, Roman government or, or evil kings and stuff, and they would hide it. Well, sometimes somebody would die before they told the family secrets. And you might buy a field. And uh, maybe some of y'all have gold hidden out in your town in Vila or somewhere, you know, Nebo. Uh, you're waiting to tell your kids where the goods are buried. Uh, and that's kind of the same thing. It was passed down and, and grandpa's stuff was hiding under the oak tree, right? And maybe it didn't get lost and you might buy a field and find it. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Or a merchant who is an expert in trading pearls. And pearls were, uh, you know, you know what a pearl is? It's in an oyster. An irritation happens. And a pearl of great value was found in the market. And because he knows the rarity of this pearl... And back in the ancient days, pearls were kind of equivalent to gold. You could sell a pearl and trade a uh, piece of gold for it, kind of stuff like that. He would sell all that he had, give up his whole family business just to buy the one, not just because he wanted a pearl, but because he knew the rarity, the value of that one thing. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to break this out kind of exegetically here, because I'm going to take you piece by piece to this parable, the field, the treasure, the purchase, and the return. The first is the field. What is the field? Well, uh, let's just look at this. In Matthew 13, just a few verses up in verse 38, Jesus tells you there's this field. So there's a field and there's a sea. And the same, he's two parables, the same, kind of the same idea. He says the field and the sea. And he says the field is the world. The field is this whole world. It's the whole world. He tells us a few verses up. It's the whole world. And this whole world uh, in it are all kinds of fish of the sea. All kinds of things are in this world. But this world is a world under another kingdom. It's the kingdom of man, but it's under the kingdom of darkness. And this world has uh, been given over to dominion. Adam lost dominion to Satan. In the garden. And Adam had all authority and power. He could have told the snake to be quiet. He could have, he had dominion over all the fish in the sea, but Adam lost it. By voluntary transgression, he fell. And he gave that dominion over to the devil, Satan, the adversary. And the Bible says that Satan and his kingdom of darkness has blinded the minds of unbelieving hearts. They've been captive to their sin. He's, uh, Ephesians 4.18, he's darkened in their understanding, excluded them from the life of God 
They've been given over to callousness and sensuality. And Jesus said, this world, this field has got thorns in it. It's got unfruitful trees in it. It's got all kinds of vileness. It's got evil birds, he says in a parable uh, about it. It's, it's not a great place. Uh, it's got rulers and dominions of heavenly places and wickedness. They're overseeing it. And even inside of this world, there are all kinds of evil men who are ruling it, hypocritical leaders, immoral rulers. And everyone in this field, in this world, is destined to go into the lake of fire, to a place of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth, cast away from the presence of God forever because of their sin, because they are separated from God, and men love the darkness, and they will forever be cast into outer darkness. So this is the field. It says, this man was willing to purchase this whole field. For why? Because number two is the treasure. In the middle of this darkened world, this kingdom of man on inside the kingdom of darkness, he said there was a treasure. And Jesus says that treasure was the kingdom. Well, what's the kingdom? We said a lot of, in this series, but it's the power, the place, and the people. The power, the place, and the people. The power is the authority of a king. It's the, the authority he has to uh, rule and reign. It's his uh, dominion. So a kingdom is a power, but it's also a place. It's the realm of the kingdom, like heaven. Wherever God's presence is, is heaven. Heaven is not a place up in the sky. It's wherever God is. It's wherever his presence is. Wherever he has his presence is his place. So it's a power. It's a place, but it's also a people in which he rules. It's, it's the rule of a king over a people. So we are a kingdom people. So the king has to have a people. So it's a power, a place, and a people. So which is Jesus talking about uh, in this parable? Well, you and I can't purchase the kingdom. It's far too valuable for us. And if this world is the field, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here is a people he needs to purchase. How many see that, right? He's saying, I, I know I can't purchase the kingdom, so Jesus is the man in this parable, the field is the world, and the kingdom is the people. Let me give you some examples and some evidence of that. Why? Because in Exodus 19, it says that you shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He said that to Israel. He said in Psalms 135, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. Well, it's not really about... Uh, are you physically a son of Abraham? Because Jesus said even these rocks can cry out and be a son of Abraham, right? But it's a God-fearing people, a faith-filled people. That's why Peter comes in the New Testament. He says, but you too are a kingdom. You too are a royal kingdom, a, a, whole, a royal kingdom, a holy priesthood, a people for God's own possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a kingdom people. Uh, in Revelation, it says he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to our God. So the kingdom is us. Man, isn't that great news? You are a kingdom. And so here's the treasure. God so valued you, he would purchase the whole world to gain you. God so valued the fact that you could be with him for eternity, he was willing to buy the whole world. The Bible even says, Paul says, that God was willing to endure vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, even just to save a few. That God would so willingly allow billions of souls to go to hell for a small number to gain heaven with him in eternity. I don't understand that love or that value. I don't understand how God values that, but he says he does. He says, I'm willing to purchase the whole world. I'm willing 
willing to take dominion over all of this just so I might gain a few. Just so I can gain you and you and you. The value of a kingdom. That's why Ephesians 1.18 says, uh, I pray, Paul says, I pray that your eyes would be opened, your heart may be enlightened, that you'll know the hope of His calling, which are the riches of the glory of His. Somebody say His. His inheritance. His inheritance in the same. Not your inheritance. His inheritance in you. You know, you, that's why the Bible says you are the bride of Christ. You are that thing he's purchased, the thing he wants to gain. It's you. It's not streets of gold. It's not a, a dominion. Of a, Jesus already had dominion up in heaven. He didn't come down to earth to buy more dominion. It's not like he was a real estate broker, needed some more space up there in the galaxies. He came to a field of dark and lost and evil and vile men and said, I'm willing to purchase the whole thing just to gain a few of them because that's the value I place on one soul, on one person, of you being with me for all of eternity. The treasure of the kingdom. The treasure of a people. It was deposited in that dirt into that field by the gospel. And he says, anyone who would obey his voice and keep his covenant... These who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. They're the hungry and the thirsty souls. They're the weary and the heavy laden by this dark, depressive world that we live in. It's every person who's drawn to him by faith, every person who'll submit to his lordship can get in the treasure chest and say, I'm, I'm part of the reason Jesus died. So there's a field, there's a treasure, and there's the purchase. He says there was a purchase needed for this treasure. The treasure was actually under the dominion of the one who owned the field. We just said that was the devil. He says, for the joy of what he found in that field, he was willing to sell all that he had to purchase the world just to gain the kingdom. He would buy the whole field just to gain what was on the inside. Let me tell you what he did. A few things that's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says he would relinquish his riches. I want you to just think about and meditate on this purchase, the price of this field that it costs our king. Paul said, you know, for the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He relinquished his riches. He gave up his glory. John 17 says that he prayed to the Father, Father, I'm praying again for that glory which I had with you before the world began. So we know that when he came to the earth, he was giving up the glory of angelic majesty, the glory of the radiance of his splendor, where his eyes were beaming like fire, his hair was white as snow, his voice was the sound of many waters, his feet were glowing bronze. He said, I'll give it all up, Lord, but I'm praying for the day I get it back again. He gave up glory for you. The radiant splendor of his being. He gave up his own being for you. He gave up glory to purchase this kingdom. He left heaven to be a lamb. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 that when he comes into the world, he said, Father, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. He put the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he put on a body, a body of a servant, of a carpenter's son in little old Nazareth to walk a dusty road to be despised and rejected, forsaken among men, to be beaten and accused, to be a nobody. And nobody anthem his praise in a manger and an animal trough when he was born and nobody sounded uh, anthems as he walked and paraded the streets but they viled him they rejected him and he says but I came for this purpose to be like a lamb led to the slaughter 
He left heaven to be a lamb. Philippians 2 says he was emptied of his equality. Paul says he existed in the form of God, but he didn't say it was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. And in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He relinquished his riches. He gave up his glory. He left heaven to be a lamb. He emptied of his equality, and he became, Isaiah said, a suffering servant. We know this verse well, Isaiah 53. Surely our griefs he himself borne, our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Somebody say amen. amen. He bore our burdens. One verse in that, though, has stuck out with me this week, and it's verse 12 of Isaiah 53. And it says, He poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors. Here it is. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. I want you to just listen with me for a minute. Can you imagine taking on the sin of another person? Now, just go in your mind's eye. Now, now, we may not understand what it's like to be perfect. Now, we, we know that there's different degrees of perfection and different morality, right? I, I know that I'm not a perfect person, but I might know that I haven't committed all the sins that somebody else has, and sometimes we're like that. We kind of compare and contrast ourselves, but none of us really understand what true perfection would be or felt like to have, right? But I know that I haven't maybe done all the evil things that some other people have done. Like, I haven't done what Hitler's done. I, I, degree, I see a degree of evil, right? Now, I want you to imagine that God comes up to you and says, I know you've been a, a decent person. I know you know you're a sinner, but I know you, you know that you're mostly a, you're a moral person. Okay, now you're a Christian. Great. But he says, I want you to go to this person, and I'm going to take everything they've done, and I'm going to put it on your account. And you're going to live with the shame and the guilt and the regret of what their sin is. Now, I want you to think about the most vilest sins that you think are the worst, right? We know everybody's sin. We've all fallen short that there's no sin really greater than another. But I, we know in this world, I can think about rape, and, and I can think about murder, and I can think about stealing grandma's jewelry. I, I can think of levels. Now, I want you to think about the most vile sin. And God says... I want you to take that, and I'm going to put it on your account. And when you walk the streets, they're going to think that you did it. When you go through your life, you're going to live with the guilt of it. And you're going to take that on your account. I'm going to put that from their account. They're going to get off scot-free. And I'm going to put it on your record. Your record was like this, but now it's going to be like this. And you're every day on Facebook and social media, they're going to think, you are the rapist. You are the murderer. You are the adulterer. You are the person who did that. That's them as they walk down the street. They're going to look at you. How many people, it, it would be hard to make it one day like that, wouldn't it? It would be hard to live with the, just the guilt, the condemnation, the shame. Knowing you didn't do it, but everyone thinks you did. And then to go on and say, well, that person's getting off scot-free to live the rest of their life. They don't even have to live with it. I'm living with their own thing. I'm taking their sin, and they get to go off scot-free. And he said, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, you're actually going to go to hell for that. You're going to take their hell. They're going to get to go to heaven, and you're going to go to hell for them. You know, Paul said that's what he prayed for himself, for Israel. I pray, God, that if you could take it on me and save all of them. It's a ministry of intercession. Oh, and he says, oh, by the way, they may not choose heaven anyway. You're going to do all of this. You're going to live with the shame, live with the regret. You're going to go to hell for them. And you're going to pay their penalty. 
and they get the option whether or not they even want it. And that's what Jesus did for you. Now times that by billions. In one moment, he took billions upon billions upon billions of your shame and their shame, my condemnation, their condemnation. And he bought the whole field, whether or not the field wanted it anyway, for the option that whosoever will believe. He went to hell. The Bible says he went to the depths, he went to the dead places, and he purchased the whole field that you might be saved. You see, this is the kind of love, church, we have got to understand. This week I was praying and reading about this, and the chapter I was reading in my devotional was called The Ministry of Intercession. And it said, until you understand God's kind of love for people, you'll never be the Christian or the church you're called to be. Because that's the kind of love Jesus has for every person out there. He took it whether they want it or not. And until you're willing to take it for them, you'll never understand his love. Until you are willing to take it to their account and say, God, I'm in anguish for their souls because you purchased it just like you did for me. You'll never understand his love. This is the ministry that Jesus gives to his church. You see, he died and took our sin to hell with him, and it should have been over. But the Bible says something unexpected happened. Acts 2.24, God raised him up. Somebody say amen. amen. Loosing the pains of death. It was impossible for him to be held by its power. He says, and this was his joy. Hebrews says, it was for a joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It was a joy that was unspeakable and full of glory. He was willing to say, yes, Father, I'll purchase the whole field just that I might gain the ones who'll say, they're my treasure. They're the hidden ones. They're a people for my own possession. They're my inheritance. And Jesus was willing to take a whole field's purchase for the joy of you and you. We should be happy people, by the way. Everything he gave up, he gave up for you. The joy of spending eternity with you. You cost him everything, but he gave it up joyfully. What does that say about the value of you? What does that say about the value of one soul to Jesus? The Bible says that all of the angels rejoice in heaven when one soul comes in. Because they're rejoicing. I don't think because they're rejoicing. I think they see the master rejoicing. They're echoing what God feels. That all of heaven for one. Because why? He purchased that one. He died for that one. He bore the sin of that one. So how do we value a soul? We live in a world full of murder and hate and gossip and slander and division and backbiting. 
live in a world that devalues, that shoots people at random, that lets people get lost in drugs and are ODing in the cars in the street. We look at children and, and we see them all in kind of foster homes. We see them going out all. We see hungry children dying of plagues and starvation around the world. And man doesn't value life, but God values one for the joy of one. You see, you are worth more than the whole world to him. And you are worth all of heaven for him. He gave up his realm to gain a people. He gave up his place to gain a people. What does that say about your value and the value of them out there? And there's a return. There's a return. See, he received this kingdom. I want you to go back. And so he joyfully resurrects. He appears to Mary. He says, what do you remember what he says in John? He says to Mary, 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 don't, don't touch me. Don't cling to me. I have yet to ascend to my father. I haven't gone to my father yet. Why? He hadn't totally received the kingdom yet. Remember in Luke, he said, the kingdom is like a, a landowner, a nobleman who comes to purchase a kingdom that goes away and he leaves his servants in charge of it. There's the process of finding the kingdom and then going over back home to purchase the land, and then coming back again to dig up the treasure. And he says, Mary, I, I, I've, I've risen from the dead. I've, I've gained over a victory, but I haven't ascended yet and presented myself to the Father. Don't touch me. I'm not ready yet. All right? Mary Clay says, go, go tell my, my brothers. Go tell my brothers what you've seen. And so she goes. And then guess what happens? Something in the middle of that verse, something between those moments, Jesus ascends to the Father. How do I know that? Because here's what he says when he comes back to his brothers. He comes up and he appears. The next time he appears and he tells the disciples, and he comes to Thomas. Remember what he says to Thomas? Touch me. See my, put your fan, finger right here, bud. Put your hand right here. Look and see. Touch me and see. Why? Because he presented himself to the Father. And then what did he tell them on that mount? He says, hey, guess what, guys? Matthew, all authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Why could he say that? Because then he had received the kingdom. Let me tell you something. You don't have to wait to heaven to know that Jesus Christ has received authority over the kingdom. Jesus Christ has purchased the world. He's paid for your redemption. He's presented himself to the Father and said, Dad, I purchased the field. Now, when do I need to go back and dig it up? We are, that's where we're at in the story. You are the kingdom. It's purchased. It's paid for. Satan no longer has dominion over this world. God has paid for this place. Now, he has allowed a temporary time here before the full redemption. It's a kingdom that's now and not yet. It's paid in full. Come on, somebody. It's paid in full, but he hasn't come back to get the shovel yet. But there's coming a day. The Bible says when he's going to come with the great trumpet of the sound, a great trumpet of Gabriel, and there's going to be a shaking going on. Every grave is going to bust open. Jesus is going to come with that spiritual shovel. He's going to dig you up, and forever, forever, we will always be with the Lord. I'm just waiting to get dug up. Come on. I'm waiting for a return of the king. But let's, let, let me say, we're in this in-between space. And what did he say? He says, when he received the kingdom, he hid it again. He saw it, he found it, and for joy of it, he hid it, and he went back to purchase it. 
You know what Colossians 3, 3 says? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. What's He saying? He hid you. You are secured. The seal of the Holy Spirit is on you. You don't have to live in the realm of not knowing if the devil's in charge of this world anymore. You can have faith. God has already purchased this place. Devil, you just hadn't got kicked out yet. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm bought with the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You don't got no hold on me anymore. I live by faith in what He's done for me, not what I see in circumstance around me. Darkness may abound in this world, but I've got the light of God on the inside of me. And when Christ, who is my life, is revealed, that treasure chest is going to open up, and we, who are alive and remain, will be caught up with them together in the clouds. The Bible says you will shine. Saints will shine like the sun. You will glisten. You will beam. You will be radiant light because His glory will be your glory. When you haven't really begun to understand who you are yet, but when he shows up, you'll figure it out real quick. You are his. You are purchased. You're a treasure. You're something he purchased and gained. And if we could just wake up, church, to who we are, if we could just realize what he's done for us, if we could just get the value of one soul, and if we could just take his burden on us and say, God, you have purchased the whole field, and you're calling people to come. Get in the box. Get in the treasure chest. Come into Christ. Be hidden in him. You'll find rest for your soul. Oh, one day we'll be dug up. Let me wrap it up. Three things I want you to pray about with me before we close. Number one is, if you're here today and you're not the treasure, I want you to know, number one, you can be treasured. You can be treasured. You're listening online. You can be treasured. Philippians 3.8, though, says it's, to count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, this parable kind of works both ways. I know he treasured us, but if you want to be the treasure, you've got to treasure him. See, discipleship is costly. It will cost you everything. Paul says, when I saw the value of what he's done for me, I counted all things as loss. That's how we know that you really appreciate it. He has to become your treasure. He has to become your treasure, and you'll be treasured forever. Do you see the surpassing value of what Jesus Christ has done for you? You have to be like him and be a person willing to sell out everything to gain the kingdom. You've got to see the value of this and get in the box. Say, I see what he's done. I see what he's done. The love of God, the amazing grace of God. I believe it, and I give up everything to obtain it. Like the guy with the pearl, I see that this pearl is not like all the other pearls. And I'll give up everything in my life to gain what God has gained for me. So, number one, you can be treasured. Number two, you should live like your treasure. Church, you should live like your treasure. You shouldn't look at this world's value to determine your value of yourself. Young people, you shouldn't look at Hollywood to determine what it looks like to be a woman or a man of God. You shouldn't look at what pleasure is by looking at this world. You shouldn't look like what happiness and joy is according to this world. You are, the world is a field of darkness, but you are the treasure. 
And you should act like a treasure, dress like a treasure, think like a treasure, behave like a treasure. You're saints, holy ones, separated from God, purchased, not with anything perishable, Peter says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, of Jesus. You know, should know what you've been purchased with. So don't ruin it. Don't go in this world thinking you're nothing or putting yourself out there to be abused or talked about or, or women. Don't, ladies, you don't need someone to tell you how valuable you are. Jesus tells you how valuable you are. I could preach a whole sermon on that. You're treasured. It's evident. You're treasured. Act like it. Believe like it. Know your worth in Christ. Stop listening to the world's value of yourself. And number three, pray with me about this. We should treasure people. You can be treasured. You should live like you're treasured. And you should treasure people. Why? Because Jesus treasures people. He left this kingdom that it would grow in value. You know, sometimes when you leave something for a while in a CD or a money market account, not in this economy, but in other economies, it would increase in value. As he left it, I think it was supposed to increase in value. This kingdom is, he says, that's why he says, all authority has been given to me, now go. Go get more people in the box. Go get more treasure. Go find more treasure. Go create, go, go tell people, let them be treasure. I want more treasure. I'm, I died for this. And do I treasure people like he does? You see, he desires his kingdom to increase and says, go make disciples. And remember what he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where was his treasure? Ah, right here. That's where his heart was. That's where his treasure is. It's not about buying and selling and getting more stuff in heaven. Oh, I want more rewards in heaven. No, 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 no. Where your treasure is, it's Jesus treasures people. Is your heart where people are? Is your heart where his heart is? See, this is the ministry of intercession I'm calling our church to in this season. Jesus loves them so he took their sin upon his account. And do I see the value of what he did for them that I am willing to help him gain them at any cost? Do I see what he has done for them because I value what he's done for them, I will help him gain them at any cost. I think God is asking our church to take on a burden in this next few months. We'll be talking to our leadership about it even tonight. That God will give us a burden for the lost like we've never had. How many know he's coming quickly? And he values them. He values them. Now, I'm asking you to pray with me, God, help me to value them because of what he's spent for them. Not because they deserve it or I deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But because he freely gave it. I pray that he gains it all. And that as many people as he's paid for can come into the kingdom. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? You can be treasured you can live like you're treasured, and we should treasure people. Thank God for being hidden in Christ. 
Father, I take this next moment just to reflect and to pray. God, how can I apply this message to my own life today? What are you speaking to us, Holy Spirit? Each one in this room, can you take a moment? We just examine our hearts. What is God, through his word, speaking to you today? Maybe you're here, number one, and you haven't become the treasure yet. You hadn't got in the box. But today you're seeing the surpassing value of what God has done for you. And you can take a moment right where you are and say, God, I repent of my sin. I turn from valuing the things of this world and I willingly give my life to Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you. I, I believe by faith that he's the son of God, that he died on a cross for my sins. There's no work that I could ever do, but by grace, through faith, I can just receive this purchase of God. And when you believe in your heart, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will come in. He'll make you born again, alive in Christ. As you fully give up your life, He will give you His Spirit. And you'll know. You can cry out, Abba, Father. You'll have a sense the Holy Spirit is in you. And I'm encouraging you, if that's you, to pray. Just continue to pray in that moment.